Welcome to the podcast of New City Church. We hope this podcast inspires you on your journey of inward and outward transformation. Please join us on Sundays. You can find more information on our website, grownewcity.church. God bless you. Hey, everybody. How are we doing today? My mom is in the audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, everyone who's joining us today. This is the first time I've preached live in front of more than one person um, in like two years. Uh, So (laughs) I'm excited to be here. Um, Today, we're going to talk about the thermodynamics of prayer. Today, we're going to dive deep into the thermodynamics of prayer. Now, if you're a science nerd like me, um, and you might know what thermodynamics is, maybe you don't, it's the study of the flow of energy. Thermodynamics is the study of the flow of energy, how energy is transferred, how it moves, how it exists in the universe. And I believe prayers don't just contain words. Prayers contain an energy. Prayers don't just contain words, they contain an energy. And um, as someone who's had a, a lifetime of different prayers and spiritual experiences, I can tell you that there are some prayers that I've had that have given me more life, more energy. Um, but there's also been prayers that I've had where I left exhausted. There are prayers that I've had where I left feeling like I didn't belong. Like, I remember when I was in high school and I went to the gym once and I was like the skinny kid and I'm not very athletic and I didn't know how any of the machines work and just like being there made me feel like I didn't belong. Sometimes we pray and we're so connected and so grounded and sometimes when we pray, we feel like we don't belong. We feel like these prayers aren't going anywhere. We, we feel like God would not be interested in responding to our needs. Some prayers have this life and this peace, but uh, some prayers of shame, don't they? Some prayers of guilt, some prayers. And it's not just the energy of a prayer, it's the energy required to start praying. Do you know what I'm talking about? There's an inertia that has to be overcome. And sometimes there have been seasons of my life where I could go, I, I, could, I could be at school or at work, and I could like take one step and somehow I'd be in the throne room of God and I could ask for anything that I need. And sometimes it felt that there was a valley and a mountain and like a target throw I would have to traverse before I could get to God. Do you know what I'm talking about? Sometimes the energy required to start praying is immediate and sometimes the energy is like moving a large ship. What are the thermodynamics of your prayers? What are the thermodynamics of your prayers? Yeah. So I want to share, I want to start by sharing three moments. um, Three moments that show how prayers have different energies. Um, Moment number one. um, When I was a kid, I had a family member who I love, very kind, very generous. But this family member, at times... At times, their life was shaped by worry, by anxiety, by fear. Like, a lot of conversations with this family member were about impending tsunamis and hurricanes and earthquakes and the world ending and Jesus coming back and trumpet sounding and, and, and the Antichrist and the world collapsing and the economy not doing well. Like, there was this worst-case scenario thing that seeped into some of the conversations that we had. And every time that we got into a car, you know, Every time that we got into a car with this family member, she would look at me. And this is me, like a little eight-year-old. Like, she would say, Jean, every time that you get into a car, you have to pray these words. And then she would say, 
Dios adelante, Dios atrás. En ese carro van el Padre, el Hijo y el Espíritu Santo. Amén. Which translated means, every time that you get into a car, you must say these words. God before me, God behind me. In this car, accompany me the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the text of this is not controversial, by the way. Like, I want you to pray in every situation in your life. The text is not controversial at all, but the subtext is very interesting. The subtext is very interesting because the subtext asks some interesting questions like, if I say these words, these specific words, these magic words, then God will protect me? And if I don't say those words, those specific words, those correct words, then God won't protect me? So, so if I'm getting this right, if I don't pray this every time I get into a car, God might let a car hit me? God might let a fatal accident come my way? Is prayer like a magic, like a spell that we must cast if we say the right words at the right time in the right way? And if we cast this magic, then it is activated. And if we don't cast it, then we're, we're in danger. Um, is prayer a force field that you must remember to turn on, and if you don't remember to turn it on, then you are in danger of violence? Would God let something terrible happen to you simply because you did not say those words? And even though I, I'm, I'm grateful for that family member and the way that she prayed, there's this concern that I have that it, teach, that it taught me, it showed me a way of faith that says the world is dangerous and only with this magic energy can we be safe. Is prayer a magic that we must activate? What is prayer about? What is God like? Moment number two. Um, when I, throughout my life, I will get emails and WhatsApp messages and maybe Facebook posts and text messages about someone somewhere asking for prayer for someone somewhere else. And to be clear, praying for people, you'll find out I'm pro-prayer after this all, but praying for people is good, but like, I don't know if you ever get like messages, you've ever seen them where it's like, if you don't share this with 100 people, you don't believe in God, right? Like, it's like, you gotta go email this, you gotta send it to strangers, and there's this energy. This text is fine. The subtext is very interesting because the subtext says if we could get more people to pray, then maybe there's a higher probability that God would listen to us. If we could get X amount of people to pray, then maybe we could lobby God into caring. If we could just get enough people in on this, and to be clear, again, you'll find out I'm pro-prayer, but like, it raises some interesting questions. Like, do my prayers get listened less than the prayers of many? Do the prayers of thousands matter more to God than the prayers of a teenage girl? crossing the U.S.-Mexico border? Do, do, the, do the prayers of 10,000 in a church right now in the suburbs matter more than the prayers of family who just lost someone to police brutality? Whose prayers matter more? And, and is God like a politician that we have to like lobby and pressure into caring about justice? Do we need to persuade God to be good? Do we need to like get an online petition going? Is that what prayer is about? Is that who God is? 
Moment number three. So when I was younger, I would do these, um, I'd had, uh, I was a part of a ministry, and, and, and we, we'd start campus ministries and high school campuses, and every month we'd gather all the leaders from all the different schools, and I would help lead and run these events. And man, they were powerful. Like, it, it was just like some of the most meaningful spiritual experiences that I had. And I wanted these events, I wanted these opportunities to, to go well for people. And whenever you're doing something important in the world, something that matters to you, something for other people, there's like two motivations, right? Motivation one is, I want people to be served. I want people to be impacted. I want lives to be changed and people to be encouraged and God to show up. That's good. But then there's another creeping desire. And that's, I want this to be successful because I want to be successful. I want this to matter because if it doesn't, then maybe I won't matter. I want this to be beautiful because if it's not, then what does it say about me? And so like the event going well wasn't just like a good opportunity. The event going well was like really important to my well-being and to my future. And so I needed this event to go well every single month. People drove an hour, two hours, five hours, seven hours at times to come to this event. And if I show up and it's bad or not a lot of people are there and a lot of butts are in seats and a lot of lives are changed, then what am I doing, right? So I need this event to go well. There's that energy there, isn't there? There's an insecurity about who I am and what I'm doing in those prayers. And so how do I make this event go well? Because I need it to go well. Well, then I, I had this sense, sometimes I didn't say it, but I just felt it, that if I did X, then God would do Y, that I could negotiate with God. If I gave God what God wanted, God would give me what I wanted, and we could have a nice event. And there was this sense, there was a sense that if I prayed that week, read my Bible, worshiped, fasted, and didn't look at porn, then God would make the event go well, right? Um, just with the five things. If you ever, a lot of Promotion strategy, marketing strategy misses it. If you want your event to go well, pray, read your Bible, fast, and don't look at porn. Um, so, so here's the thing, like, and that's, like, that's fine, right? Like, maybe there's, there's reasons I, I, I felt that, but, like, um, it felt really weird if the event was on Friday night, and on Wednesday night I looked at porn, and on Thursday morning I didn't want to ask God for anything because how could I ask God for anything if I didn't live up to the thing I said I was going to do and I didn't live up to my values? So now I don't want to talk to God about the thing I really need to go well because why would God have anything to do with that event going well? I didn't do X, so why would God do Y? Is that what God is like? Do we negotiate with God? Can God be bought? Can we give God X so God gives us Y? And also, if the point of the event is that people would be blessed, would God not bless other people because I didn't do something? God would refrain from blessing others because I didn't read my Bible enough or I saw videos of people making out. And the point of all this story is that, like, what is God like? What is prayer about? Is prayer magic? that we have to activate, a spell that we have to cast, a force field that we have to remember to turn on? Is it an online petition to a God who doesn't care? Is it, is it a negotiation, a sacrifice we offer God so that God would bless something? What is prayer about? What is God like? What are the thermodynamics of your prayers? Yeah. Uh, I'm here to tell you that I believe God is better than that. Yeah. I'm here to tell you that God is so much better than all that. I'm here to tell you that there is better news, that God is much, 
much better than that. Amen? So here's my one point for today, the thing I want to leave you with. I believe prayer is participation, and you, wherever you're at in your spiritual journey, however much you believe or don't believe, do or don't do, think or don't think, you are invited to participate because prayer is not about making God more good. Prayer is a participation in the goodness of God. Prayer is not about making God more good. Prayer is a participation in the goodness of God. So let's look into what Jesus has to say about about prayer. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Everyone who asks receives. Whoever seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks the door is opened. Who among you will give your child a stone when they ask for bread? Or give them a fish when they ask? Give them a snake when they ask for fish? If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly parent give good things to those who ask him? And I love, I love the message translation of this. Is it, I, want, I want you to hear the message part of this. It says this, don't bargain with God. Be direct. Ask for what you need. This isn't a cat and mouse hide and seek game we're in. If your child asks for bread, do you trick him with sawdust? If he asks for fish, do you scare him with a live snake on his plate? As bad as you are, you wouldn't think of such a thing. You're at least decent to your own children. So don't you think that God who conceived you in love will be even better? So we're being told two things. We're being told two things. The first is an invitation. The second is a reason. The first is an invitation. We are being asked to ask, seek, knock. Ask, seek, knock. Now, a pro tip about the Bible, right? Like we, this, this was text that was given to friends and family and churches. We didn't have big publishers back then. And you had to like get a message across through like word of mouth or like a letter that would be written by a lot of people over and over again. I mean, it wasn't, we couldn't like bold something. We couldn't like make it really big and show that emphasis. So if you wanted something if you wanted to emphasize something, what would you do? You would repeat it. You would repeat it in a different way. Here we have Jesus repeating something not once, not twice, but six times. Ask, seek, knock. Ask, seek, knock. You and I are being invited to participate. You and I are being invited to engage, to join in, right? And so the invitation is emphasized. It's almost as if Jesus is pleading throughout time with all of us, wherever we're at in our faith journey, what if you asked? What if you sought? What if you knocked? What would happen if you participated. And then the second thing we have is the reason. We have the invitation. You and I are invited to participate. The second thing we have is the reason. And the reason is because God is good. Because God cares about our needs. You can join us. Thank you. Um, God 
cares about our needs. Do you know? Do you know that your needs are holy? Do you know? Do you know that your needs are sacred to the one who made you? Do you know that your needs, as big or as small, as ugly or as pretty, as ordinary or as extraordinary, whatever they are, they matter. They matter to God. Your needs are holy. And we're told that God is not magic or a force field or an online petition or a contract or a capitalist. No, the picture that we're given is of a heavenly parent of a mother who has no other option but to take care of her children, all of her children. Prayer is not about making God more good. Prayer is about participating in the goodness of God. Because here's the thing, when we try to make God more good through our prayers, when, when we try to convince God to be just or nice or, or good to us, when we try to persuade or lobby, the thermodynamics of what's happening there is you are spending energy trying to move a cosmic force. And that is exhausting. That is exhausting. You are trying to convince God to do what God already does, love you. And even though God already loves you, it still takes a lot of energy to try to convince God that way. Convincing energy, persuading energy, is really exhausting. What if instead of... Instead of persuading God, we were actually joining the God who loves us and wants to take care of us. That's a different kind of energy, isn't it? Um, I, I work at a nonprofit. I'm a marketing manager, and I had this idea for a new project, for a new thing, um, and I wanted it to go well. I wanted to to happen. I wanted uh, to get approved. And so I did a lot of research and a lot of developing of this idea, and I talked to a lot of people, heard objections, uh, answered those objections, like created like a, an eight-minute presentation that I wanted to share with our president and, and, and to try to get this idea that I think would impact our mission and our community better. So I go and I, I set up an appointment. The president says, yes, I'd love to hear about it. And so I sit down with the president virtually, and the worst thing happens. Two minutes in, to my presentation, the president says, I love it, let's do it. <laughs> now you're, you might be asking, why is that a bad thing? It's because I still had six more minutes to convince her. I still had six more minutes of a presentation. And she already said, I love it, let's do it. And so what a smart person would do at that time is stop and say, awesome, great, we'll talk to you next time. But what I did was I kept convincing. I had a, no, 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 well, actually, thank you, thank you uh, for, for, for that approval, but let me tell you a little bit more about the idea, and I kept convincing, I kept presenting, and two minutes later, she said, no, again, I love it, I think it's great, I think we should do it, no, no, but there are a couple objections I want you to know about that we're going to address, she didn't bring up those objections, I brought those objections up, I was convincing her out of it so I could convince her back into it, and here's the thing, like, again, at the end of it, she approved the idea, but why did I spend six minutes of energy convincing someone who was already convinced? Why did I? Because there was an energy there, wasn't there? was an insecurity there that I had, to, I had to prove something, and it was already proven. What if when we talk to God, we try to persuade God of something that God is thoroughly persuaded of? What if, what if we try to convince God 
to care for us, to love us, to protect us, to provide for us, as if God wasn't already fully and deeply in love with us? What if we're spending energy on something that God doesn't want us to spend energy on? What if the thermodynamics of our prayers are exhausting when God has something to give us, not something to take from us? Prayer is not about making God more good. Prayer is about participating in the goodness of God. Um, and to really look at this, I want to look at Jean A and Jean B. So I'm Jean, right? But like, I want to look at the life of someone who prays and then a version of me who doesn't pray, right? Jean A, let's say, believes, prays, engages in spiritual practices. Um, that's Jean A, right? And Jean B, Jean B doesn't pray. Just Jean B doesn't believe. Jean B um, doesn't have engage in spiritual practices. Um, and, and they're very similar. What, what's going to be similar and what's going to be different about them? And so let's talk about some similarities. Around six years ago, six, seven years ago, I was diagnosed with cancer. Um, I was diagnosed with a soft tissue sarcoma that's very rare. Like 12 people a year in the United States get what I got. And it, we, it was... It's, it's, it, this, there wasn't a lot of work done um, on what it is and how to solve it. And how to, you know, it, it was still, it's a very rare thing. And for context, you know, my older brother passed away when I was nine, and he was 10. From what? From cancer. And so now here as a, you know, 22, 23-year-old, I was diagnosed with cancer. And so the weight of that for my family was, it was like a heavy thing a really heavy thing. And so I would argue with you that Jean A and Jean B, whether we prayed or didn't pray, they both got cancer. It's worth noting that all the prayer and all the worship and all the reading your Bible and all the not looking at porn cannot prevent you from getting cancer. It's worth noting that even when we engage in justice and we love our neighbor and we act for the good of others, we cannot negotiate or prevent some kind of suffering from not coming our way. Life at times includes suffering. Um, I also would argue, based from this discourse of Jesus, that the sun shines, that God sends the sun to the righteous and the unrighteous alike, that God sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous alike. And rain is not a bad thing. Rain is a good thing. In that context, agricultural, you need rain, you need sun. God gives it to both. So what we're learning, what we're learning, of course, is that the love of God is so big, it includes everyone. What, what we're learning is that the provision of God, the protection of God, the grace of God covers those who pray and covers those who don't pray. And that's really good news. That's really good news, that the love of God includes people who will never ask for it, that the grace of God includes people who will never recognize it, that the power of God includes people who won't even acknowledge that God in their life. That's how big God's love is. Listen, <laughs> then why do we pray? <laughs> Right? Like, if, if the righteous and the unrighteous, if people who pray don't pray, if God is there for both, then why do we pray? Why do we participate? I, I will argue with that Jean A and Jean B both had cancer, and Jean A and Jean B both recovered. Lots of people who don't pray recover. Um, that's worth noting. And it's worth noting that I don't think God would have killed me because I didn't pray. I, I don't think that's how the love and grace of our our good mother is. But why do we pray? And this is where we have to do a transition. 
right? Because I believe that there is a category of things that God gives everyone because that's how expansive God is. But there are some things. And I want you to enter into this paradox with me. I want you to wrestle with it too. There are some things that God cannot give you unless you ask. There are some things that you cannot receive unless you open yourself to them. There are some things that God wants to do in your life but cannot do in your life unless you consent. There are some things that you cannot experience unless you engage. There is a a provision that you cannot experience unless you participate. And it's not because God is petty, okay? And I want you to know that difference. Like, I have a family member who never calls me, is never interested in me, but every time I speak to them, they're like, why haven't you called me? Why don't you talk to me more? Give me more attention. And has never earned that attention, by the way. Has never built or developed any relationship to merit that attention. But then it's like, why don't you call me? And so is, is God like that? If you call them, then maybe you'll be put in the inheritance. But if you don't talk to God enough, then you're not in the, then God doesn't have anything to, no, no, no. It's not because God is petty. It's because there are some things that you can only experience when you open yourself to them. And that's what prayer is. It's us opening ourselves to the God who is enough. Um, If you want divine wisdom, wisdom for what to do in the next thing or the next step right now and right here, not conventional wisdom, not my mom said, not my friend told me. No, 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 just divine wisdom for your life. You're going to have to ask a higher power. If you want divine peace, peace that surpasses understanding, you're going to have to ask a higher power. If you want capacity to love, a capacity to love in a world that is lacking love, a capacity to love yourself, to love the people in your life, to love the people you just meet, capacity to love, that is greater than your own capacity, you're going to have to ask a higher power. If you want joy, like divine joy, like the kind of joy that like makes you dance even when you just got a diagnosis, even just when you lost a job, divine joy that doesn't make sense but gives you meaning, you're going to have to ask a higher power. There are some things that you cannot have if you do not ask. And it's not because God is small or petty or exclusive, but because we must open ourselves up to the things that God wants to give us. And that's what prayer is. So, yes, I believe Jean B. would have recovered without praying. But Jean A. had a peace. And it wasn't a peace that was, God is going to heal me. No, Jean- my, my older brother was loved by God, and my older brother passed. I may, I may have died. No, it wasn't peace that the outcome was certain. Faith is not confidence or certainty in the outcome. Faith is confidence that God is good. And humility that like, we don't know what we don't know, right? Like, I didn't have peace because I believed God would heal me of cancer. I had peace because I knew that that God was with me, and if God was with me, it would be okay. I knew that God was with me, and if I died, it would be okay. And I knew that if I lived, it would be okay. There was a sense that no matter what circumstance or world or thing could happen, the presence of God meant that there would be enough, meant that it would be okay. If you want that divine peace, Jean B. didn't, didn't ask for that peace and didn't receive it. Jean B., is loved by God, but unless John B. opens himself up to the God who is enough, he's going to have to deal with scarcity mindsets. Unless John B. opens himself up to the God 
who is with him. He might feel alone. And that's not because God is exclusive or small or petty. That is because there is a category of things that you cannot experience unless you engage. But there are some things that get in the way of us engaging. Are things that get in the way of us participating. I think there's a myth, particularly, that I think has robbed millions and millions of people of their faith. And the myth goes like this. I need a certain threshold of faith or certainty or behavior before I can participate. I need a certain threshold of certainty. I need to know 100% that God is real before I can ever start praying. I need to know that God is, uh, the Bible is true and that Christianity is true and that, that like Genesis was written by Moses. I don't know, like these random things, right? I need to know that before I can participate. And so the enemy says, okay, well, you can't participate. You're only 51% sure. You're only 40% sure. You're only 10% sure. You're only 5% sure. Don't engage. Don't participate. Don't join in. It's as if the world and the empire are saying, don't ask. Don't seek. Don't knock. Don't ask for a better world. Don't seek for a better city. Don't knock for a greater future. Because you can't, you have to believe 100%. You have to have 100% certainty. No, I just, just, a pro tip, 100% certainty in God and 0% certainty in God are both kind of dangerous. Okay. They're both kind of red flags. A, a hardcore fundamentalist and a hardcore atheist have a lot more in common than they would like to admit. And I, we're all just kind of in the middle. But you don't have to have 90% confidence about anything to participate. You can participate now. You don't have to have 51% confidence in anything. You can engage right here. The invitation was not conditioned to ask, seek, and knock. The invitation was for you and for me. Do you know what the percentage or the probability that is required before you can participate? It's not zero. <laughs> It's a not zero probability that God is good and that God is here and that God is with you. If that's you, if you're at a not zero probability that maybe there's a God and maybe God loves me as I am and maybe God is with me and God wants to walk this life with me, then participate, join in, engage. Don't let someone tell you that unless you have X amount of behavior, X amount of certainty, you can't participate. That's a lie from hell. Amen? Amen. So I'll, I'll close with this. Um, uh, I had just come out of the closet, and I was starting to heal. And I was starting to reconcile my faith and my sexuality, and I was uh, starting to kind of live a new life. And, uh, and, 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 and that was a season of healing in my life. And I was, as I was in that season, I would work at a job I really didn't like, but I, I worked at a call center at 1 o'clock, and so I would wake up around 9, and around 9.30 or 10, I, I would try to have some time with God, and I'd try to bring my life to God and, and bring my worries to God and bring my fears and dreams to God, and that was meaningful for me. But, but one morning, God told me, I felt it in my spirit, you're not bringing every part of your life to me. You're not bringing every part to me. There's a part you're withholding. And I knew what part I was withholding. I was withholding my relationships, my romantic life. The idea of asking God for a boyfriend scared me. Why? Because that used to be sin. And what if it still is? You know, like, there was this, I had healed, but not fully, right? Like, healing is a process, right? So, like, the idea, like, I knew that 
it was okay for me to be gay and a Christian, but I, the idea of asking God for what I needed, asking God for a partner, uh, someone to, to do this life with, that was too much of an ask. And I also felt that I was doing God a favor, you see, because by not asking for much, then I couldn't be disappointed by God much either. And so I didn't ask for much. And God said, no, 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 no. I want you to bring everything. I want you to bring me all your needs, not just the needs you think I can. No, all your needs. All your needs are holy. All your needs matter. I want to hear them all. And of course God knew what my needs were. And yet God wanted me to bring those needs to God. And so I was like, okay, God, fine. I want a boyfriend. I want someone to do life with. Um, I want a partner suitable for me. You, you gave Adam a partner suitable for Adam. Like you walked through all the animals until Adam found someone. You could have given him a whale god, right? Like you could have given him like, an, uh, like, like a parrot. Like you could have given him a platypus. Like you could have given him anything. You gave him something just for him. Why can't you give me something just for me? Um, and in that moment... I felt it. And I know, again, this is, I, I don't want you to get the impression that this happens every morning to me or that this should happen every morning to you, but I felt God give me a name. I felt God put a name, a specific name in my brain. And it was a man's name, which is a good, good, uh, good news, right? Um, <laughs> and, you know, it'd be cute to be able to say, hey, everybody, you know what that name was? Fabo, right? Like, that would be nice. Fabo is my husband. Edwin Fabian Muyorendon. But it wasn't. It wasn't that. Um, and so, I mean, like, A, you know, God wanted my Tinder strategy to be to swipe left unless I saw that name. And that would be a weird Tinder strategy. But I heard that name. And so, for me, names have meaning. So, I'm like, I don't, I, I don't know what this name means. And I, I, don't, I don't know why that's what I got. But let me look that up. And so, I went and looked it up. Do you know what that name means? Your God will provide. That name means your God will provide. And so, no, my tender strategy wasn't to swipe left on everyone without that name. Um, but can I tell you that as someone who had just come out of the closet, as someone who was just healing from homo- years of homophobia, years of shame, for the God of the universe to give me a man's name and for that name to mean your God will provide, sustained me. And no, I didn't meet Fabo, my husband, the next day. It would take like three or four years. Three or four years at times of bad dates. Three or four years of wondering and doubting and wrestling. But three or four years of asking and seeking and knocking for, for what mattered to me. For my needs. And I'm not here to promise you a boyfriend. Money, like heaven knows, like <laughs> heaven knows our problems would not just be solved with another man, you know? But... But here's, here's what I am here to tell you. I'm here to tell you that your needs, your desires, your story matters to God. God isn't simply a God who at times provides. God is provider. God isn't simply one who at times loves us. God is love. God isn't simply the one we seek to have enough, God is enough. And when we realize that, we'll understand that prayer is not about making God more good. Prayer is about participating in the goodness 
of God. Amen.